This show is brought to you by my friends at Alliance and Trust. In wild times like these, you need more than financial product salespeople. You need a firm that looks at the entirety of your life and helps you with strategies that coordinate all disciplines of good stewardship so you can manage wisely what God has given you and thrive in these times of chaos and confusion. Have a team that acts as consultants in the business of you. Let Alliance and Trust help you plan for what's next. To learn more and get your free copy of Alliance and Trust's book on financial stewardship, Wisdom Before Wealth, visit friendofbrice.com or call 805-371-8020. Welcome to the Bryce Eddy Show. Today, my guest is going to be talking about a book he wrote on a subject that I'm very interested in. And uh, that book is called When China Attacks, A Warning to America. And my guest is Colonel Grant Newsham. Uh, Welcome to the show, Colonel. Oh, glad to be here. appreciate the invitation. Yeah, so as uh, as we were, you know, warming up real quick, as we were getting things set up and, and getting ready to launch the show, I was telling you, this is a subject that interests me. And the reason being is, you know, we've been monitoring and watching kind of what's happening. And I believe that, you know, China is, is rising and rising rapidly, and we're falling and falling rapidly in the world stage. And we're making, I think, incredible errors and have been for decades when it comes to China. And so I'm, I'm interested to get your take. I had made a prediction, which I've been off uh, on, but I said it would be 18 to 24 months uh, before they uh, attacked Taiwan. And, uh, and I think we're right at about 24 months uh, from when I said that. And um, and I still you know think it's in the cards, and I know you write about it uh, quite a bit in the book here. Um, but I see that as as kind of the uh, the kickoff to what I think can be a kinetic war between uh, China and us. And I'm I'm obviously greatly concerned about what the ramifications are there. But let's let's talk about first you. How'd you uh, how'd you get to where you're at? you know, talking to me today and how'd you get to write the book and tell me a little bit about your bio and background and, and why we should be listening to you. <laughs> okay. Well, 66 years ago in Northern Virginia, but no, I was, um, uh, was in the Marines for a long time, uh, about 30 years or so, though this was uh, partly active duty, partly reserves, um, and was in Asia for much of that. And Part during that time, I did a few things that had something to do with China. I was at one point the, the reserve head of intelligence for the Marines in the Pacific at, at Marfor Pak, uh, but also lived in Japan for 20, 25 years and was the Marine attache a couple times at the embassy, but also uh, was given the <clears throat> um, mission around 2011. I was put on active duty with vague orders to be the Marines' first uh, liaison officer to the Japanese military. Uh, so I and a couple Marine uh, officers and some Japanese co-conspirators, we thought the Japanese needed a amphibious force. So we gave them one and we didn't ask permission and we were wildly successful. Uh, but that's just some of the experience in, in Asia. So I've been focusing on it for a long time, uh, but it started much earlier than that. Uh, I used to be with the US State Department uh, for eight, nine years. 
work at the last job was in Tokyo, but also did a lot of work in East Asia and uh, South Asia as well. Um, back when the Taliban, the guys who became the Taliban liked us. Um, so it was a long time ago. Uh, but also worked in the business world for a long time, which uh, was about 10 years with uh, investment bank, Morgan Stanley, and a few years with Motorola, if anyone remembers that company, which sure. committed, suicide, committed suicide in China. And I watched him do it. Uh, but I also got a good sense of how Wall Street looks at China and the communist regime. And so I've seen this thing, this issue from... Uh, over about 40 years from different perspectives, the military, the diplomatic, uh, the financial, and the, the business. Uh, and I've been giving China a lot of thought uh, over the years because it's you know, for obvious reasons. Um, and I've seen how our treatment of it has developed, how we've looked at China has uh, developed over the years and how for too long it was um, naive, to put it mildly, and at worst, um, really stupid. Uh, and it's got it's put us into a fix. So I've uh, that's why and the book came along um, because I um, was asked to write it. Uh, but also at some point you're old enough and you figure you've done enough to have a few ideas that somebody might find interesting, and you're not plow replowing the same ground, uh, but rather say some different perspectives as to what I see the. Uh, problems are with China, uh, what the dangers are, how we've gotten into this trouble, um, what are what happens if we lose, and what to do about it. And it's a book written really for people who don't live and breathe foreign affairs, but even they might find some of the ideas interesting or else infuriating. Uh, but it's really to help people explain, you know, who because most people know there's something going on with China and they hear it's something bad and or even they're told it's something good. And so I wanted to help them read it, help them understand what the issue is, uh, but also offer some solutions. It's easy to say what the problems are and they're manifold and this uh, behavior that, um, that has gotten us to where we are, that's um, disgraceful. Uh, but you always have to be constructive and offer some solutions. And we do still have a good hand to play uh, but my goodness, it's um, sort of like seventh, bottom of the seventh, and we're down by about three uh, in baseball terms. So, yeah. yeah, well, well, that's fair. So years ago, I read a, a fascinating book um, written by you know some of the uh, early entrepreneurs uh, involved in China, and um, I think it was uh, it was called Mister China. And one of the things that I came away with on that book, uh, again, you know, it was written about the the business of creating China, um, was the uh, the mistake that we continue to repeat with other cultures is we assume that they are just like us and just like the West. And then we parachute in there and we believe that if we will just put them in the right circumstances and create the right prosperity and do the right deals with them and all that stuff, they'll then begin to think exactly like us. And, you know, we have very short-term thinking along those lines. Um, you know, China is known for, you know, multiple generational thinking, or at least, you know, values that extend through their generations. And we, we did the same thing with, uh, with Iraq. We've done the same thing with Afghanistan and other things throughout our history. And I think a lot of it comes from also 
our um, arrogance as ugly Americans, and I love America, but we have we have an arrogance that that says, okay, if we just do this, you know, then they'll come over to our side, and and we'll be able to work everything out. And in the process, and I know you you touch on this, and and um, again, I'm I just got the um, you know ability to kind of thumb through the book so far, and I'm looking to read in depth. Um, but but we uh, we made so many. Um, errors uh, tactically and strategically with giving them so much of what was our power. So can you, uh, can you talk a little bit on, on, you know, any thoughts you have there on, on my little diatribe there? <laughs> I think you said it right. Um, there's nothing more for me to say. No, you've, you've laid it out. <laughs> uh, you know, we're, um, we, Americans, we, we think people will like us if they just get to know us. And they will become like us if they get to know us, because we're splendid people. Uh, and you know, said, "Oh, Will Rogers, you know, statement. I never met a man I didn't like her." But with us, it's, you know, if we can just talk to people, they'll come around to our way of thinking. The threat they won't. They'll see we mean no harm, and they'll behave accordingly. And that is, in some ways, typified a lot of our treatment of uh, our dealings with China. Is the idea was that if we help them develop economically, uh, if we overlooked anything they did that was bad, uh, that they would gradually over time, as they got richer, wealthier, this uh, middle class in China would demand more political freedom and China would become like a giant Canada. The word to use was a responsible stakeholder, which meant that it played by all the rules that the, the, the West and the had had set up and and that that's how it would naturally develop and it's almost like a science experiment that you have a hypothesis if i do this this will happen and at some point you realize well this isn't working out like i predicted maybe i should change my hypothesis or do things differently we never changed until maybe five six years ago uh, so we kept at this for almost uh, you can choose your start point but i would generally use about 19 uh, 1989, Tiananmen Square Massacre. Uh, after that, you know, it, there was a letter actually George Bush wrote to Deng Xiaoping, the Chinese dictator. And if you read the letter, it's on the internet. Oh man, it, it is actually, it is embarrassing. Um, it's saying, well, you know, we, we I wanna be friends. I know you've had a little trouble. Don't worry about it. We're gonna get through this. Instead of saying, well, look, you just murdered 10,000 of your own people. Uh, we don't want anything to do with you until you, you know, behave. But this was, that really set the tone for our dealings with the, the Chinese. Um, but there was also, uh, besides the idea that if we accommodated them, help them, they would liberalize, there was also the attraction of money. And Westerners and Americans have been uh, captivated by this allure of selling one of something to every Chinese person uh, and becoming fabulously wealthy. And that shaped so much of America's uh, policy towards China throughout that whole period. Uh, and typified by, uh, during the Clinton administration, letting China into the World Trade Organization, despite not meeting any of the requirements. Uh, and the idea is, well, they eventually they would. Well, they never have. And what that did, if you want to see the results of it, go to, go to Baltimore, uh, you know, go to Youngstown, Ohio, look at those places. Uh, and what it did, it, it just opened the floodgates to moving all sorts of American business, American jobs, manufacturing to China. 
And the CEO class, the business class, Wall Street, made out very well. But you go yep. to those neighborhoods where people used to live, and it looks like a war zone. Um, it, it's just an absolute tragedy. It's heartbreaking. Uh, and it was that nothing more than self-centered greed on the part of too many people. And it's really easy to rationalize what you're doing. But this is something, it's a, in some ways, you know, we have, the, well, we have the empirical evidence of how much of a failure this policy has been and what it has done uh, to our society. Uh, although I suppose the, our elite classes dismiss those people as just the lower orders who weren't smart enough to go to Wharton. Um, and this has just opened it all up to uh, the Chinese drug offensive. Uh, the fentanyl mm -hmm. business killed 70,000 Americans last year, uh, and we did nothing. We still do nothing. Uh, so this has been a wild success from a Chinese perspective, but from ours, it has really hurt us. And based on these fl fundamentally flawed uh, premises that if you uh, accommodate China, help them get richer, they're going to be uh, sort of responsible or better, a nicer country. And then just the, the sheer greed, you know, how many, you just, how many companies, and these are big companies, particularly the mid-sized small ones, sold out to China. You have the CEO, that managerial class, sold it out for a chunk of money, and they made out well, and the whole company goes to China, and everything's gone. You know, there's so many examples of that. And that's really just one part of the uh, the story that I'm telling, but it has really, it, it's hurt us, it's strengthened China, um, that the wherewithal we gave them, the foreign investment, the convertible currency that we have poured into China is actually what they have used to fund their economic buildup and their military buildup. Uh, it's often not well known that the, the Chinese currency is not really convertible, or not freely convertible, which means it has about the, uh, the same value as the script you would get at a high school carnival. You know, it works at the carnival, but try taking it off uh, school grounds and paying for something. And that's this problem the Chinese have. So if they don't have access to foreign currency, principally dollars, they can't buy the iron ore they need to make steel to build their navy. They can't buy the technology uh, that they need uh, to uh, one, build their economy, but also the military. Uh, if you're going to buy a, an Ivy League professor, he's going to insist in payment on doll in dollars. Uh, so we're, we have provided them the wherewithal, uh, and that just makes it even a weirder story. Uh, but you know, we've sort of woken up, but not enough of us have yet. But the um, we still got a little time. Do not trust these woke banks. Do not put your money into ESG funds. Instead, why don't you talk to the Alliance and Trust family? Finances in their blood. I grew up with them, and they've handled my entire financial world for nearly 30 years. And as a testament to their talents, they've managed to keep me not just out of trouble, which in and of itself is remarkable, but they've helped me to build real wealth. They've assisted me through complex business transactions and family matters. Now even my daughters are working with Uncle Randy to put financial disciplines in place for their futures. Invest with people who share our values and will help you to be a good steward with what God has given you. Let Alliance and Trust help you plan for what's next. To learn more and get your free copy of Alliance and Trust's book on financial stewardship, Wisdom Before Wealth, visit friendofbrice.com or call 805-371-8020. Zero. 
Well, you referenced Motorola, and you know we're doing the same thing that Motorola did. Um, you know, we've been committing this uh, slow form of suicide. Um, you know, at our um, it, 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 when our relationship with China. Um, and the ramifications are huge, you know, because, of course, we did hollow out all of our great industrial um, manufacturing cities and, and you know, our um, uh, infrastructure. But, you know, we're we're seeing the result of that directly with our, um, you know, aging uh, highway system, our bridges. I mean, all of those sort of things where we exported all of that overseas. Um, you're watching what China's doing to, you know, to build constantly and improve, you know, in their cities and all of that. And, and we've just completely destroyed that. And we're, you know, rusted and run down. Um, I, I think it's uh, it's amazing. Again, that, you know, book that I referenced earlier uh, was really the picture of, of that greed that took over and, and how many people were on that track and on that train just to get massively wealthy. And they really sold us out. And, and we're um, now going to be paying the price for that. Yeah, you know, that's and it's not as if we're just figuring this out. Even at the time, there were people warning of what was coming. You know, yes. And when W when WTO was um, that agreement was reached in the early 2000s, the Clinton administration, that uh, fellow named uh, uh, Bill Triplett and another Ed Timberlake wrote a book called Year of the Rat, uh, which laid out the Clinton family corruption, the money they were getting from China, and it's really a prosecutor's brief. Uh, and yet nobody ever sued those two guys for what they said. But I've also heard that at the time there were many politicians who knew what the results of this would be. But the donor class prevailed and they went along with it, even though they knew. And to this day, the, the so-called donor class uh, really does have immense influence. And you ask yourself, for example, why couldn't, you know, 70,000 Americans are killed by this fentanyl. Most of it comes from China. China could stop it if they wanted. They don't, and yet nothing happens to this. and. All one can say is it's that donor class that doesn't want to upset business as usual. And it, it sounds strange that people would be, be this heartless, this, you know, this callous towards fellow Americans. But that seems to be, I can't think of any other reason why even the Trump administration wasn't able to do anything about fentanyl. And, and that really typifies uh, much of the harm that, uh, that we're experiencing and the, the difficult spot we've gotten ourselves into. Yeah, so um, you know, one of the things I think you do a good job of of laying out uh, right now is a question I was asked um, yesterday or the day before with somebody um, asking me uh, when I thought we would go to war with China or would we go to war with China? And what I said was, we've been at war with China, and we've been at war with China for a while. But people don't completely understand. Um, and and I talk about it on the show. You know, we're in a fourth and fifth generation war with China. Um, you know, will it go kinetic at some point? Um, you know, I, I do think so eventually. But, you know, they're they're whittling us down to nothing. Um, and they're going to spend their time whittling us down to nothing, um, you know, for uh, for as long as it takes. And uh, and we're seeing that. And you you do highlight some of those areas. Um, you know, where it started. And of course, you know, one of the big ones is that uh, intellectual property theft and cyber attacks and espionage and all of that that's been going on now forever, um, almost since we first brought 
uh, products over there for them to manufacture, they started ripping us off. So talk a little bit about um, that and then some of the other uh, ways in which they've been attacking us. Sure. It, it, it goes to the Chinese concept of warfare, which is different than ours. Now, we look at it as like a hundred yard dash where the you know, the, the two guys come up to the start line, stretch out and get in their crouch. And then somebody says, go. And to us, that's when the war starts. You start shooting and then, you, you know, whoever wins, wins. But the Chinese see this, that part, they see the kinetic, the shooting part, as really the last step, if it's even necessary. If you've done it right, you have set up your, your target so that he either cannot resist or won't resist. And you've, you can, you've even psychologically changed the way he thinks uh, to the point that he, you know, he doesn't think he can or needs to or wants to resist you, and he just gives up. And that is the, the ideal from the Chinese perspective, uh, to get that domination without fighting, without shooting. So China, China attacks on a number of fronts that we don't recognize as, as warfare. Uh, there is the, you know, there's economic warfare we've just talked about. If you can get the elite class of a country to ship you their technology, their manufacturing, their jobs, well, you have just built up your own national power. Well, they have correspondingly weakened their own. Uh, but we see it as just business, you know, as return on investment, nothing to worry about here. But from China's perspective, what's not to like? Your own, your, your main enemy, and China considers us the main enemy, uh, and they want to, to, at best, dominate us; at worst, destroy us. And if you can get him, if you can get your enemy to cooperate in that, well, how much better does it get? Uh, you get this uh, biological warfare. You, know, you can argue where the that COVID virus came from, but there's very little doubt that China capitalized on it uh, once it, it broke out. And look at what the and it certainly came from China. I want to be very clear about that. It didn't. Uh, come from anywhere else. And look at what they got us to do. They got even got Texans to agree to stay at home, to close their churches, keep the liquor stores open, and they got Texans to do it. And you and look at the, the effect that had on us. You know, the economy was humming at the time it hit and we closed it all down. If you can get your enemy to do that to himself, well, you know, you, you got to admire it if someone can get it done. Uh, I've mentioned the chemical warfare, which is what the fentanyl is. Um, 70,000 yep. people, that's like five or six divisions that you've taken off the battlefield. Uh, and, and that's just the dead. The, the knock-on effects, you know, the, the social effects, uh, these are just immense. And it, once again, what's not to like? You, you haven't, you know, it's America's way of thinking, it's not war. Uh, and to China's way of thinking, it is war. There's cyber warfare. They got the blueprints for the F-35 stealth fighter, uh, the C-17 long-range transport, and they have created their own versions of this. And there's other. There's, they've gotten other things. I've just heightened the uh, mentioned those too. Uh, and once again, what has been the uh, the response to that? Have they suffered for having done that to us? No. Because they have gotten, they've also been very successful on the psychological warfare front, where you have conditioned uh, America's policymakers, officials, politicians, uh, and its business class, which just needs the smell of money more than anything else, to say, well, we, we, if we treat China like an enemy, it will be one. Uh, or we, China is not communist, it's capitalist, really. Or we can't do that, China won't like it. Uh, or we need China's help with fill in the blank, North Korea climate change, transnational crime, 
you know, all of which China is the main uh, cause of the, is one of the main uh, proponents of it. Uh, but we've got to be conditioned ourselves to think this. And that's been, so and psychological warfare is very effective um, for the Chinese. And there's lawfare, so-called lawfare. You use America's legal system. You look, look at Huawei. Um, they have no trouble getting American lawyers to, to do their bidding for them, retired American politicians to serve as lobbyists for them. And so on these fronts, they've been very successful and it's not, none of it's kinetic. Meanwhile, we have allowed our military uh, to not develop the way it needs to. And China's military has developed into a, uh, unfortunately, a force that in the right circumstances uh, could uh, probably defeat us if they chose the right time and place. Yeah. Uh, um, what's also interesting about that psychological warfare is, you know, they've um, they've hollowed us out from within using Hollywood. Um, you, you look at the influence that Hollywood's had because they want to sell their movies over there. Um, they've uh, they've, you know, neutered um uh, all all of the movies that used to have our military enemies, and you you would point to the uh, you know the bad guys in the world or on the world stage. You have Chinese censors, you know, embedded in Hollywood now, making sure that that um, you know it doesn't reference anything that's negative towards them now, and uh, and otherwise that movie won't see wide distribution. Um, and then along those lines too, you, you're seeing the um, our, our uh, sports franchises, you know, the N NBA and you know others. Um, you look at LeBron James, uh, you know, swallowing their lines and and being a, a complete patsy for them. So, you know, all of that has a massively negative effect on our culture and our people and their understanding of what the Chinese are doing. Uh, absolutely, you know, and those that. Um... Hollywood and the NBA, it's its almost shooting fish in a barrel uh, when you criticize it. And there's so much more going on besides that. Uh, but as you say, it, it shows how we have been conditioned and plus the smell of money. Uh, but you know, yeah. I, I, and I don't, I don't understand it because you know, this Chinese regime, you know, it's just as you need a benchmark. It harvests organs from live prisoners. And these are political prisoners, uh, you know, and... Is this so? Is it okay to do business with these people? Uh, and it seems to be, you know, for the the NBA, for Hollywood, doesn't seem to be any concern about that. It's just this god awful sort of human rights atrocities that characterize the Chinese Communist Party, and nobody seems to do much about it. You don't hear this as a common refrain, you know, hammering the Chinese on this. Uh, we're just mute for whatever reason. Because uh, one, we need their cooperation. We don't with this and that. We don't want to get them mad, and we're going to make a ton of money uh, from them. Uh, and that's uh, where we find ourselves. But it really is there's the psychological aspect to this fight with China, which is under it's understudied and it's underrecognized. Because I think most of one, it's a little hard to you know it's hard to quantify in some respects. But also, I think most people think they're so smart that they would never be manipulated. Uh, mm. And the Chinese must be just laughing. Uh, and you've mentioned the media as well. Uh, when even the Wall Street Journal, for goodness sakes, is allowing China Daily to put in a propaganda insert uh, into them. You know, you know, wow. they've had the Chinese have had some pretty good success. And 
you know, they make it very hard for American journalists to operate in China while we give free reign to their so-called journalists, most of whom are uh, MSS or state security agents. Um, but there's also one, another good, very good example is in, this was around 2012, maybe 10 years ago or 13, very good reporting done uh, by Bloomberg and uh, at least, and there was one other company, I for, uh, I for, country, uh, company, I forget which, excellent reports on the overseas wealth, the overseas financial holdings of Xi Jinping and his family. Uh, the American company spiked the story uh, because they didn't want to hurt their business in China. Uh, but that shows what, one, it points out a vulnerability of the Chinese Communist Party if we would go after it. But it shows, once again, how we have not just pooled our punches, we've sort of handcuffed ourselves uh, when it comes to dealing with China. And we've allowed ourselves to get into a, really a situation that I, I never thought we would, uh, would get in. Subscribe to Good Ranchers any day this month and get free bacon for a year added to your order. You're not dreaming. This is the real thing. Pick up a box of 100% American meat. Get 24 ounces of bacon free with every order, free shipping, and guaranteed 100% American meat delivered to your door. Sounds like a win-win to me. Good Ranchers meat is 100% American, absolutely delicious, and steakhouse quality. If you needed even more to push you over the edge, with my code BRYCE, you can get an additional $20 off your first order. That's 24 ounces of Applewood smoked bacon with every order and $20 off with free shipping. But this offer won't last long, so go to GoodRanchers.com today and use my code BRYCE at checkout for the best meat and seafood America has to offer today. Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. Yeah, well, and they also have gotten to be so powerful, you know, here on our soil in terms of the vast amounts of wealth and companies and strategic things that they own here, um, you know, including land and all of that, that they've been, you know, again, over time buying up. And, and I, I think there's no there's. Um, you know, nothing but good strategy on their on their behalf in doing all of that. And that that further puts us into to such a terrible position. Yeah, you know, if and you really can't blame them if you're playing poker and the guy on the other side is showing you his cards and in fact letting you take the ones you want, why would you do anything different? And it really was the the thinking, if you remember it back 2010 and after before and afterwards, but particularly Around then, it was the idea was it was throughout Silicon Valley, the American business class was I'm going to get my chunk of Chinese money, and yeah. nothing wrong with that. There's no problem at all. Uh, the administrations, and this is a Republican and Democrat achievement, uh, acquiesced in most of this, uh, allowed it to happen. So the buying out just uh, American companies, right and left. Uh, something like um, over from about 2006 to 2016, I think it was about $120 billion in acquisitions uh, in the United States. And this is technology companies, as uh, even Smithfield Ham from um, my state of Virginia, you know, bought it up. It's just all sorts of things, buying it up. And that from the Chinese thinking, it's very much, if we have it, it weakens them. Uh, and that's a difference between, say, Japanese or Dutch investment or English British investment is they don't look at it as a you know as trying to hurt or destroy your an enemy but to the Chinese it very much is and 
they, they were extremely successful at it. Uh, the, the watchdogs that we were supposed to have on Capitol Hill uh, really didn't do their jobs uh, at all. Um, you know, I would also note uh, the, on Wall Street, where the Chinese companies have been allowed to list uh, on the US New York Stock Exchange and some others without meeting the disclosure requirements that every other com- company has to meet. They're just allowed to list because you make a lot of money, or at least the people who handle the listings do. Uh, so yeah. China you know, just earns huge amounts of foreign exchange, which they bring back, once again, used to build up things like their military and to fund their Belt and Road Initiative, which has been immensely successful in expanding Chinese influence uh, worldwide and laying down the, the infrastructure to eventually have a Chinese military presence throughout the world. Um, and we, we know what the problem is, but we just do nothing about it. And even when uh, Senator Marco Rubio went after that those listings and was calling for delisting uh, the Chinese companies a few years ago, he said he had a, his draft bill was, we're going to delist them three years from now. Mm. So can you imagine when it should have been 30 minutes from now? Can you imagine yeah. what sort of influence that is being a pressure that's being applied on the good guys to accommodate the Chinese? Three years of this. And that was that was considered like a, a pretty good move. Uh, and that just shows how we, we really have not dealt with this uh, very well at all. Even the military has been complicit in it. Uh, yes. and in my book, in my book, I cite um, the, the com- commandant of the Marine Corps in 2008 goes to the goes to China, visits the Chinese Marine Corps, and he gives them a pep talk, basically saying, you know, boys, master your professions. Well, they have. And the idea that you know, it's just unthinkable that a Marine commandant would do that. In 2008, it was absolutely clear what was coming from China. And that's just one story. Uh, wow. You know, everybody's got, there's a bunch of others. And it really wasn't until very recently that you could even say that we might have to fight China. Um, guys who who warned of it, particularly, say, Captain Jim Fennell, uh, who was the head of intelligence for Pacific Fleet, uh, he uh, was noted around 2013-14 that China was getting ready to fight a short, sharp war. Uh, he was cashiered. He was uh, forced out of the service, forced to retire, and he now lives in a little village in Switzerland. And he, Jim, uh, Captain Fennell was warning of the, so, the decade of concern, the 20s to the 30s, 2020 to 2030. And nowadays, all the cool guys are talking about the decade of concern, but nobody in the Navy has gone to find him and apologize. Uh, but that's how it was. And you know, so it wasn't just uh, Wall Street, the business class, and the, the political class, too much of which was in the bag of the donor class, but it's also the military uh, that let its... Uh, guard down, it should have known better. And the excuse that they were distracted in the sandbox uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan is not a very good one. Um, There were, of course, people who knew it, tried to sound the alarm. Um, None of them were uh, very well received. Yeah, that's gross. Well, something else that's gross is what they're doing to our kids through things like TikTok and some of those. Um, 
and I'm sure you know this and maybe you can expand upon it, but, you know, they don't allow the same algorithm, uh, algorithmic programming and videos uh, with their own kids in their equivalent of TikTok over there in China. In fact, they're they're giving their kids an educational experience compared to what they're pushing on our children. Yeah, that's um, that's true. You know, there's no possible way uh, China would allow something like TikTok in China. Uh, and you see this all the time, this complete lack of reci- reciprocity. And there's a reason for it, because if China doesn't let us do something, it's because if we did it, it would be effective. But we allow yeah. them to do this sort of thing. And it's not just the, the psychological aspects of TikTok, um, but it's also being revealed now that it's actually an excellent tracking tool. And it's part of this Chinese espionage uh, effort against us, which is wide ranging and thoroughgoing and has been for a long time. Uh, But we also are focusing on TikTok and there's probably a couple dozen other things out there to worry about. Um, Interestingly, the Indians actually uh, shut down TikTok a few years ago, along with many other Chinese apps. And whenever China screams bloody murder, you know, that you're containing us, you're racist, blah, blah, blah. You know, you're, the, the rounds are hitting the bullseye. And the, the best approach at that point is to do more of it. Uh, but they are very good at letting us know what they don't want us to do. Uh, so unfortunately, we don't always follow their guidance, but we should. All right. Shifting gears. Now let's talk about Taiwan. Uh, which I'm very interested in your thoughts on on that. And, uh, you know, maybe you have better predictions than I do. Um, uh, so I'd love to hear that. And then, um, you know, after that, let's uh, let's give some people some hope and talk about what okay. the possible solutions for this whole thing are. Easy. Okay. Uh, with Taiwan, actually, I've um, I spent 2019, all of it there, um, uh, with the in a sort of scholarship with the Taiwan Ministry of Foreign Affairs, studying Taiwan's defense and had done some work previously um, in Taiwan when, uh, with the military. Uh, the, and my take on, on all of this is <clears throat> that Taiwan is where it all comes together, uh, that China looks at, uh, looks at its situation, looks where it's the most juicy target is that it'll get the most benefit from. And I think it is Taiwan. Uh, I think it's perhaps a little less likely that China would actually attack mainland U.S. They're capable of it, but I don't think they would. Uh, I think they think that if they can just keep it confined and send us a message uh, with a couple of, um, with some, uh, suspi- you know, just suspicious drone attacks on our ships, uh, mines going hitting our ships, going out of ports, aircraft getting shot down, um, blowing up on the tarmac, just send us a message. I think if they go, think that if they go hard enough against Taiwan, uh, don't make the mistakes the Russians made in uh, China, or excuse me, in Ukraine, and tell the Americans, and particularly this administration, look, you stand clear, it's nuclear war, that they might think they can get away with it. Uh, And they do have the capability to get across the strait. You'll often hear it said, well, amphibious operations are the most important, most difficult military operation there is, and unsaid is and the Chinese aren't smart enough to figure them out. Um, you know, the Chinese are smart enough. Um, and, you know, they don't forget that they built the left half of the American transcontinental railway, and that was the hard half through the mountains uh, with yeah. P-51 
Hicks and dynamite. Uh, but And nobody in the Korean War ever said, boy, I'd like to fight the Chinese again. So the point is that we've treated them with a huge condescension and they have built up a military which does have the ability, I think, to think it can successfully take Taiwan. Uh, why would it do that? Uh, there's, and this is worth thinking about because you'll often hear, well, Taiwan is just some rocks. It's only 90 miles from China. Let them have it. What's the big deal? Uh, well, the Chinese military is hemmed in by something called the first island chain, which is islands from Japan to Taiwan to Philippines down to Malaysia. And it effectively does serve as a barrier to Chinese access eastward to the Pacific. So if you can take Taiwan, you have taken, you've got a, you've taken um, a lodgment right in the middle of America's first line of defense. It's like a castle wall being breached. From there, the uh, People's Liberation Army starts, it moves up north, it surrounds Japan, moves down south, it isolates Australia, and it influences, it establishes a presence throughout the Pacific and all the way to the west coast of the US, ultimately, and Latin America. So militarily, it's very useful, but also think of the um, psychological, political effect of letting Taiwan come under, under the control of the Chinese communists. It shows that the American military could not protect 23 million free people. Uh, American yep. financial, financial and economic power couldn't do it. U.S. nuclear weapons couldn't do it. America didn't have the will to do it. And what other country on earth is going to be uh, confident in Americans' uh, guarantees of protection? So it's, that is how I would uh, describe Taiwan's importance. And you'd find very quickly Asia would turn red. Everybody would cut the best deal they could, except maybe Japan, uh, except uh, maybe Australia. But now when will something happen? Well, this is how I see it. And keep in mind, I've been predicting um, Washington football team Super Bowl victories for the last 25 years, every year. So, so you probably discount what I say. But, it, but, it's, uh, but as I see it, they, China's watching for something to happen. And that is the Taiwanese, the Taiwan presidential election in early 2024. Mm -hmm. um, there's a possibility that very pro-China candidates might win. And if they do, it's possible that they could drag Taiwan into China's orbit, even though most people don't want it. But that's a real possibility. Uh, and even in the last election uh, in Taiwan, presidential election, about 40 percent of the population voted for people who you'd consider pro-China. That's a lot of lot of votes. A oh, lot wow. of people do vote, yeah. of course, on economic, you know, economic for economic reasons rather than foreign affairs. But nonetheless. Uh, with a slight shift, they just might get their guy. And if they do, at that point, all of this political warfare, the economic, um, biological, cyber, psychological warfare uh, that they've been doing against us, they've been doing it to Taiwan just as much and maybe even a little bit worse because Taiwan's a small place and you can concentrate the dose and you're operating in Chinese. Uh, so there's, they th I think they think that they might have the chance of getting it without shooting, without fighting. But if the other candidates, or the other party's candidate wins, and they want nothing to do with mainland China, at that point, I think that uh, the gloves come off, and we just might see China quote, quote, go kinetic. And in the way that I sort of described it, you know, hard and fast, isolating Taiwan, and. You know, sizing up the U.S. administration 
and giving them a choice, nuclear war or Taiwan. They may be bluffing, but it does depend on the, the backbone of the people in a given administration. Uh, the Trump administration scared the Chinese. Uh, he had some excellent yes. advisor, excellent people around him uh, that the Chinese did not like, wanted to get rid of. This administration doesn't scare them so much. Uh, the Obama administration um, is kind of like this administration. Uh, so from China does pay attention, though, to what the Americans might do, because uh, we are the one country that could stop them. Uh, and that's the we. So tomorrow, I'm sort of waiting till early 2024 to see when it comes. Uh, but this business they did in uh, last August, when they shot miss bracketed Taiwan with missiles, dropped a few into Chinese into Japanese territory, uh, and you know used Navy ships and aircraft to. Uh, really intimidate Taiwan. That was a test run, uh, partly yes. to see our reaction as much as Taiwan's reaction. But I think they are willing to use uh, force if necessary, if they think they can get away with it. Wow. Yeah, that's excellent. The other thing that terrifies me about Taiwan is how much of our important uh, electronic components, semiconductors, you know, all of that is is made there. And if that gets disrupted, I mean, you remember what happened when we had a shortage of semiconductors in our auto industry. All of a sudden, you know, it, it, it massively disrupted, you know, a great, a great portion of our commerce. And you, you do that in a couple of, uh, you know, key areas and for, for us, and we're handicapped. And, um, it, you know, how many of our uh, important components in order to fight a war are actually made in Taiwan and not here in the U.S. So, um, you know, that, that's very strategic for them, too. Oh, yeah, it would, it would be a doozy, you know, if there's a shoot-up over Taiwan. It won't be a Thursday to Monday sort of thing, nor confined. No. You'll, if you want to see a stock exchange go down 10,000 points in a day, uh, that it's going to do it. You'll feel the effects everywhere. Um, plus, China will feel the effects as well as its global trade is cut, presumably. Uh, access yeah. to U.S. dollars is cut. Uh, it's going to ha and China doesn't make anywhere near enough of the food it needs to feed its people. Uh, and it uh, doesn't have enough energy as well. So it's trying to sort of stockpile things. Um, but it will um, have a very hard time as well uh, if it does go after Taiwan. But it may figure that it can absorb it. Uh, and that's um, a concern, real concern. Um, I used to, of course, when I worked for Motorola, we still made semiconductors. And uh, we got out of the business, you know, listening to the uh, MBA, the Wharton MBA class, uh, yes. it's a huge mistake. And it's, uh, you know, that stuff all gravitated, as you said, the high end stuff uh, to, uh, to Taiwan. But I remember when America was the leader in semiconductor manufacturing, I'm sure you do too. We and were, it was, yeah. we, we dominated it. And it was once again, chasing this minuscule return on an increased return on investment you know, led to this sort of just suicidal uh, behavior by our elite class. Um, and I think I like to tell myself we can do it again. And if we, no, I mean, not yeah. commit suicide, but there's no reason we can't make the sort of things we used to. It's simply a question of wanting to do it, to my way of thinking. Yeah, well, we may have to do it. And um, I mean, I think we surrendered all those things because of those, you know, Wharton MBAs and everything. You know, once we stopped teaching, I, I think the um, 
uh, you know, real ethics in our business classes and our Ivy leagues. And we started to just, you know, run things by spreadsheet and we, and we, uh, you know, the, the CFOs became the, you know, dominant force in these businesses instead of doing the right thing and thinking strategically and thinking, um, you know, having sovereignty as a, um, important value here in America, uh, which we, once we abandoned that, we, we set ourselves up for this kind of destruction. And, and so, um, let's, uh, um, I do have hope and I know you have hope and I know you've got some good, uh, you know, good strategy, um, in the book here too. Um, I, I think, you know, China is not all powerful and some of those things you mentioned food, some of the uh, challenges they have with their, you know, population densities, um, you know, their, their, uh, uh, energy needs, all of those things, you know, if we do take that approach towards rebuilding our sovereignty and, and, and become a little bit more protectionist, um, you know, China could fall rather quickly, um, you know, or at least, uh, you know, we could take a lot of wind out of their sails. What, what say you on all of that? It's just like Bill O'Reilly talking to me. This is a, um, you know, <laughs> well, I'll take I, that I, as a compliment. <laughs> it is. It is. I always wanted someone to say, "What say you?" to me, but um, now it's happened. Um, but the we do have a good hand to play. Uh, we do need to do some things, uh, but as it, we're not without resources. Uh, first thing I think we need to do, though, is to recognize for China for what Chinese communists for what they are. Yes. And that is a, it's basically a criminal gang out to destroy us uh, and nothing more, nothing less. And realize that. And once you feel the sense of danger, realize you're at war, then it kind of helps to shape your thinking. Uh, at least and, and particularly, I think, for a lot of this, I'd call them the average people uh, who don't have a financial stake in the, the matter or a reputational stake in the case of academia. But, you know, that balloon kind of helped. You know, people looked up the surveillance balloon that came over. People looked mm -hmm. up and said, this isn't good. Shouldn't happen. And people know it. But once the, the public understands that we're at risk, that'll be a very good thing. Um, we do need to get our military house in order. You know, you know uh, recognize that a military is about nothing other than you know, defeating America's enemies or making it very clear to them that if they try anything, they're dead. Uh, there's nothing else uh, about it. It's not a, a platform for social experimentation and you know, social engineering. Uh, we need to get some war for some senior officers who actually think war fighting is the uh, is the thing, not getting the next promotion or getting working their bolt to become chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff by saying all the right things. It's all about keeping America safe. And there's a psychological effect that comes of that and ripples through the military. And they just might have fewer, fewer problems uh, recruiting people uh, if they remember what America's military is about. Uh, and you got to build enough long-range missiles that you could sink the Chinese Navy in a couple afternoons. Um, you know, as it is, we don't have enough. They're about, their long-range missiles are better than ours. Uh, we've got to mm. build ships the way we used to. Uh, you know, we talk about, well, we used to make up one Liberty ship every 12 hours in World War II. Well, that was 75 years ago. Who cares? These days, China is putting five warships into the water for every one we do. Uh, our ship numbers are going down. Theirs are going way up. We've got to address those problems. Uh, we got to spend enough on defense. You know, one might say, isn't $850 billion enough? Um, well, 
tried losing a war and that'll you'll wish you'd spent a whole lot more. It's probably not enough, though I do wish defense contractors would give us a break when it comes to uh, pricing. Uh, but so getting the military right is actually relatively easy. It's more getting Wall Street and the business class to stop funding our right. enemies. That is the bigger challenge. And I think that is going to take enough politicians with enough nerve who tell the donor class to get lost. And unless you do that, these quizlings are going to continue doing business with China right up until the time the shooting starts and they can't cash their checks. Uh, we saw this in World War II with IBM Ford doing business with Nazi Germany until the day the shooting started. Go after the Chinese on the propaganda front. You know, we used to know how to do this. We used to know how to sell America. It shouldn't be all that hard, really, because we have what people want, which is freedom. Um, you know, we do so. Learn how to do that again. Hammer the Chinese on human rights, and just nonstop. They absolutely hate it when you do that. Expose their corruption. Uh, the elite class in, and the Chinese Communist Party's top leaders are just completely corrupt. Expose it. You know, use our $80 billion that we put into it to the intelligence community every year to get that information, get it out there so everyone in China knows it. Uh, they use the dollar as a weapon. That's really what comes when you rein in Wall Street and, um, and uh, big business or any business. Um, because you want to do what you want to do is to give China that choice between um, doing something about the 500 million people in China who live on five dollars a day. We always hear about what a success China is, but not now when you've got uh, that many people on five bucks a day and your per capita income is about the same as Uruguay's. You're not exactly a great success. Um, well, all your your neighbors that started off just as poor after World War II, Japan, Taiwan, Singapore are now fabulously wealthy. Um, but do the do the, the information warfare, the propaganda front. Uh, you got to get it done, and also just use the basic standard of reciprocity. Um, don't let them do anything that we can't do in China, and probably let them do less, uh, because they do see us as the enemy that they want to destroy. Uh, and you know we have to get used to the remind ourselves that there are people around who do want to destroy us. Not everyone loves us. So those are some of the things uh, that we could do. We just have to remember who we are. And, and you know I hope we get over this idea where half the public thinks the uh, the other half are deplorables or what have you. The yeah. country cannot survive when it's fighting each other like this and it sees itself as a collection of tribes. Um, each of which has something the other one doesn't that unfairly. And, uh, so that uh, that sort of thing has got to stop. But if we do it, um, so we've got four aces in it to play um, if we decide to like play them. And we've got to get over this um, the way we've been doing business. Well, excellent job. Um, I uh, appreciate you bringing it home there. Uh, I do think that there are things that we need to do, and I think you hit all of those really perfectly. Um, so thank you for that. Excellent book. Uh, where do we buy it? How do we follow you? And, uh, you know, what else uh, do you want to leave the audience with? Okay. You can buy it at the usual places, um, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, etc. I've even tried typing, in, typing it in. It comes up. Uh, plus, it's going to be in stores. Uh, if there are bookstores, any there are some bookstores left, and also Sam's Club picked it up. Uh, All right, <laughs> which I thought was really good because that's you know I write it. I, it's written for the regular. It, 
as I say, I don't want to use the word regular people because everybody's regular people. No, but it's accessible. It's accessible. You've done a good job. Yeah. I write it the way I talk. And it's not for the 12 think tank guys who are going to look at the footnotes, see if they're cited, and then close the book. Uh, But I just try to help people understand what the deal is with China, what the problem is, what to do about it. Um, As for me, um, there's a... what I write is actually on uh, grantnewsham.com, uh, and it'll link you to all the, the articles I write. And I generally write something about once a week, um, trying to um, cover some ground or an angle that most people haven't, uh, haven't, haven't covered yet. So. Terrific. Well, hey, we will we will check that out. And uh, again, the book was interesting. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to to finishing it. And and uh, you know, appreciate your time. Appreciate you spend this sure. uh, this this hour with me and going over something that is important to be thinking about and talking about. So again, thank you for joining us. Oh, I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks very much. All right. Take care. All right, ciao. All right. We're out. Thank you for watching or listening to this episode of The Bryce Eddy Show. Hey, we need your help. We have a special call to action. Please subscribe to our new Rumble channel, The Bryce Eddy Show. If you've been consuming this on our church website or church channel, go ahead and subscribe to us on Rumble. We need to build those numbers there for that new dedicated channel. For your convenience, we have a link in the description below.